0: If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, please join me by turning to John 16. John 16, and our message this morning is going to come from verses 4 to 15. And this morning, we are starting our series on the Holy Spirit called Earnestly Desire. And today's message is going to be titled, Another Helper. Now, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this or not, but there is an entire website dedicated to sharing stories of where you were when you saw Bill Murray appear in public. Now, if you don't know who Bill Murray is, Bill Murray is a very famous actor, most notably from Ghostbusters and from Groundhog Day. I think my favorite story is the time one person writes this. In 2010, a tourist in Times Square gets some French fries from a nearby McDonald's and walks outside with them. He notices a stranger's hand stealing one of his fries. And when he, when, and when he turns to confront the thief, he realizes it's Bill Murray. In his words, he said... Before I could get a word out, he yelled over the crowd, No one will ever believe you! (laughs) He then crossed to the other side of 7th Avenue and disappeared into the crowd. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of these hilarious stories online, and each of them does not disappoint. But you know what, friends? As I was thinking about the Holy Spirit and preparation for this message in this series, I realized that I think that this is how most of us think about him. This is how most of us think about the Holy Spirit. Though there are times that we can identify his presence, we don't know where he came from, and we don't know what he's doing. But that's not what I want for our church. That's not what Zach That's not what Tim wants for our church. We desire for our church to know and to love God. That is the love of the Father, the salvation of the Son, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. In the present Christian culture, I see that there are basically two positions when it comes to the Holy Spirit. On one side, you have Christians who call themselves open but cautious. And even as I'm I'm editing on the fly here, I think there's three positions. There's one side that's open but cautious. There is the cessationist. And then there is this third side. You have Christians who we might call full tilt boogie, left lane hammered down, all things Holy Spirit. But what about you? What about you? Have your past experiences caused you to to fear any and all activity ascribed to the Holy Spirit? Or are you so familiar? Perhaps your church background was such that you're so unfamiliar with who he is and what he actually does that you don't even know where to begin with crediting work to him. Well, wherever you are at this morning... God's Word has something to teach us. My goal in this series is that we would better know the third person of the Trinity, that we would better know the Holy Spirit, that we would better appreciate his work in our lives, and that we would more eagerly lean into his powerful presence for daily Christian living. So friends, please join me now by turning your attention to what is undoubtedly the best part of this morning's message, and that is the reading of God's word. John 16, starting in verse 4. Jesus says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's go to the Lord quickly and ask for his help to understand and study his word. Lord, we need your help. We need your help to understand your word this morning, to not just understand it intellectually, but to believe it and to apply it. But God, please open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, in this text, I believe that the Lord is teaching us that the Holy Spirit's help is our only hope to live a life for Jesus. The Holy Spirit's help is our only hope to live a life for Jesus. Our first point this morning from this text is he convicts and he convinces, verses 4 through 11. Now, I want you to imagine this scene with me. At this point in John's gospel, by the time that we get to John 16, we are 24 hours away from the cross. How about that? By the time that we get to John 16, we are 24 hours away from the cross. This context that Jesus is speaking these words to the disciples, this is Thursday night. And Jesus is giving his farewell address to these men, these 11. Judas has already been identified. He has already been cleansed from the group he has left. Jesus is giving this farewell address to these men These 11 who will carry the torch of the gospel after Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. Friends, I think there could hardly be a more important evening in the history of the world. This evening might have been the night where the phrase, it was like drinking from a fire hydrant, originated. Imagine this, Jesus downloads all the content from John 13 all the way through John 16 on the disciples at dinner. That's a lot of information to take in at once. And in our section, he talks to them about the ever-important role of another helper. He qualifies in verses 4 to 6. Why? they are just now hearing this particular aspect of the Holy Spirit's ministry, and and Jesus says it was because he has been with them. But when he leaves, verse 7, he says, I will send him to you. Friends, isn't that something? The helper that Jesus is talking about here, the Holy Spirit, is not some impersonal, Force or energy. But Jesus calls him him. Calls him he. He uses the personal masculine pronoun. And I think it's important for quick application for us when we are referring to the Holy Spirit, we avoid at all cost saying it. I know we mistakenly say that sometimes. I think that speaks to the confusion we have about the person of the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit is a person. He's not impersonal. He's not an energy. He is a person eternally coexisting with the Father and with the Son. Now, what does Jesus mean by, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you? Well, I think you know this. At this point, Jesus is talking to them about the cross. He's telling his disciples about the cross. Now, this sentence is stunning, in my opinion. In order for the Holy Spirit to come and to dwell in the believer, for us to be filled with him, to be sealed with him, Jesus has to die in our place and for our sins. There's no other way. I I think that that's remarkable. That's the extent that Jesus goes to give us another helper. There's no other way for us to have the person of the spirit, to have the helper, to have the one who gives us the ability to obey him from the heart, not outside ritualistic Behavior, but inside welding up desire to love him, to obey him, to pursue him, to choose him, to turn away from sin, to turn towards righteousness. There's no other way that to happen, but Christ's death on the cross. That's how much he loves you, friend. And then Jesus tells his disciples that the spirit will have a Judicial role. Verse 8, he says, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now I know when we hear this word convict, most of us are thinking of personal conviction. And though the Spirit does that, though he does give personal conviction, we all, if we are Christians, we ought to know what that feels like. We ought to know that experience Though he does do that, that is not what Jesus is teaching and is telling the disciples about in this particular passage. In this passage, we have to keep in mind that the future of the Christian church is with these men. The question begs is how will the church grow? Who, Who will come to believe in a crucified Messiah? From Nazareth, So Jesus is telling the disciples at this point that the Spirit will accompany their preaching of the gospel with convicting and with convincing power. So in other words, he's telling the disciples that the mission and the inevitable success of the church will not rest solely on their shoulders. Ha, what a relief. The mission and the success of the church does not rest solely on their shoulders. Their job is to preach the gospel. Their their job is to share the gospel, and the Spirit's job will be to convict and to convince regarding the gospel. Now, when John uses the word world in this text, in verse 8, when he comes, he will convict the world. When John uses that word world in his gospel, he is referring to something specifically. In specific. He is referring to all of God's elect from the beginning of time until the end. And Jesus says, he will convict concerning sin, verse 9, because they do not believe in me. I think when we see this, we should immediately think of Acts chapter 2 when the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and Peter stood up and begins to preach. You remember this setting, this remarkable text? Do you remember what the crowd said in response to his preaching? What must we do to be saved? Acts 2.37 says this, Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. The text goes on to say that that day, 3,000 souls were added to the church. Now, friends, there is no doubt, and I think if Peter were here today, he would say, he'd be, well, he'd be preaching. But, If he happened to be out there, he'd stand up and say amen to this statement. There's no doubt that he was a great preacher, but the result was not. This result was not because of his oratory skill. 3,000 souls added to the church on that day, cut to the heart. That's not because Peter was the greatest preacher of all time. Peter hadn't just finished reading his copy of Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Peter did not possess the capability to convict men and women of their sin. That's what we have to understand right here. He did not possess the capability to convict men and women of their sin. He's preaching the gospel. He's trusting the Lord and being faithful to preach the gospel that Christ died for our sins. The Spirit takes the gospel and pierces the hearts of all of God's elect. All of God's people who were predestined to come to faith in him. He takes that gospel and he pierces, cuts their heart so that their only response is, what must we do to be saved? Friends, No one comes to a conviction of sin apart from the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit who convicts and who convinces someone to believe in Jesus. Friends, that was true then, and it is still true now. The Spirit makes unbelief in Christ Unthinkable and makes faith in Jesus inevitable. Now, how else will he convict the elect? Well, he will convict concerning righteousness, verse 10. He says, Because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. So, first, the Holy Spirit convicts the non Christian of sin and separation from God, but immediately after, he points, that is the Spirit, to the righteousness found in Jesus Christ alone. Commentator James Boyce says this about this verse. He says, this text is not primarily showing what righteousness is, but rather where righteousness can be found. It cannot be found here. We know only human righteousness, but it can be found in Christ, who was once here, but is now at the Father's right hand. And Jesus says that he will convict the world concerning judgment, verse 11, because the ruler of this world is judged, he says. That is to say that the Holy Spirit will convict the world, that is, he will convict the elect that their judgments about Jesus were wrong. You remember on that day, on Pentecost Sunday. It was not three thousand souls who were in one mind about the person of Jesus. No, there was, there was, they were all doubting what the apostles were saying about Jesus. It wasn't until the Spirit convicted them concerning judgment, because the rule of this world is judgment. The eyes of the crowd were blinded to see the glory of the gospel. But the Spirit comes and convicts them of their sin, convicts them to point to the righteousness of Jesus, and convicts them concerning judgment, meaning your previous understanding of Christ is wrong. Here's who he really is. He is the Son of God. He is the one who died in your place for your sins. He is the Messiah. He is the one who the prophets foretold. He is the Son of God. And what will be the new judgment upon conviction? The same as ours when we came to faith in Christ. At one point, you believed something wrong about Christ before you came to faith in him. You believed perhaps he was just a good person. Perhaps you came from an entirely different religion. You believed he was a prophet. But upon coming to faith in Christ, your judgments changed. He's more than a prophet. He's the Son of God. He's the God, man. He's Christ. He died in my place and for my sins. I can't earn my righteousness before Christ. He is my righteousness. So Jesus' point is clear in this section. The Holy Spirit's help is our only hope to live a life for Jesus. Without the Spirit's help, we, we never receive conviction. Without conviction, friend, there is no Christian. There is no church. There is no future for Christianity. That leads us to our second point this morning. He inspires Scripture, verses 12 and 13. As we transition to this point, We learn that the Spirit communicated with the apostles in some ways that he will not and does not communicate with us. Jesus says in verses 12 and 13 that the Spirit will guide the apostles into all truth. So in other words, in addition to what Jesus is telling them, there is more truth to come. Imagine that, being seated at the table with Jesus drinking from a fire hydrant of information from John 13 all the way to John 16, and he says, there is more truth to come. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but wait a minute, I thought you were going to the Father. How are you going to have many things to say to us if you're about to go to the Father? We don't even understand what you're saying when you say you're going to the Father, but you said you're going to the Father. I think that doesn't mean that you're going to be here with us, but then you say you have many things left to say to us. What are you talking about? Then, friends, fast forward, and you and I, let's just take a look down into our laps and glance at your beautiful Bible. We realize that Jesus was not joking. When he said he had many other things to tell the apostles. And the Spirit was going to guide the apostles to oversee and to write the New Testament. And Jesus says he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. When I was a kid, the 1970s band Guns N' Roses made a strong comeback in my junior high days. I have no idea why, but those were some rocking days. In fact, for my eighth grade school picture, my mom and dad owned like a printing company, and my sister asked, what do you want me to print for your eighth grade school pictures? I said, I was so, I mean, I look back, and am like, my goodness. This is the best I could get with creativity. I mean, Kevin was probably writing, drawing, doing images that were remarkable. I mean, so for thousands of dollars at that point, we just, this is the best I could come up with, a black T-shirt with, with white writing on the front and the back that said, the best band, Guns N' Roses. That's my eighth grade. I, got, I mean, I got ridiculed that day. But in these days, for some reason, Guns N' Roses made a strong comeback. And, and I remember... To this day, Axel Rose, who is the lead singer of Guns N' Roses, quoting Cool Hand Luke in the song Civil War. He says, What we have here is failure to communicate. Some men you just can't reach. So you get what we had here last week, which is the way that he wants. So he gets it. Well, friends... We should thank God that there is no failure to communicate within the Trinity. The Spirit's relationship, eternal relationship with the Father and with the Son is perfect. And whatever He hears them say, He guides the apostles to write. Friends, our Bibles are not simply, fundamentally, not deeply intelligent men writing the best that they could about God. No, instead, our Bibles are what the Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter 1, 21. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along. By the Holy Spirit. The unique relationship that the Holy Spirit had with the apostles produced in them a particular discernment to write the very words of God, which we now have as the New Testament. Now, most likely, the Spirit was not in the apostles' ears speaking audibly word by word, dictating what they should write down in their letters. But instead, because they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, that's what Peter says, he guided them throughout their entire lifetimes. From the very beginning, he guided them from their entire lifetime so that they would arrive at certain theological conclusions while simultaneously giving impressions to their heart so that when they wrote, they were writing the very words of God. What they wrote was inspired. Now, perhaps in a sermon about the Holy Spirit, you were not anticipating teaching on the Bible. But Jesus is the one, I hope you see that from the text, Jesus is the one who tells us that it is the Spirit who inspires Scripture. And I love that Jesus brings in Scripture because we are reminded that the Spirit of God delights in using the Word of God to encourage and guide the people of God. Here's why this is so important in a first sermon on a series about the Holy Spirit. What the Spirit is saying to the church today will never disagree with what Scripture has already said. Friends, there is no such thing as new revelation. There is no such thing as a new word from God. If a word doesn't agree with Scripture then it is not from the Holy Spirit. Now, you'll see this as we continue in our series. I am by no means a cessationist. I am a happy continuationist because I believe the Bible. So don't hear me wrong. I did not say that the Spirit no longer speaks because I believe that he still does speak. But I said he no longer speaks new revelation. Everything has to be tested with the word of God. Everything has to be tested with our Bibles open, like the Bereans combing through the scriptures. Is this right? Even when I'm preaching, I want you testing what I'm saying. Is is he right? Is this scripture? Everything has to be tested with God's word. Well, that leads to our third and final point this morning. He shines a spotlight away from himself. Verses 14 and 15. I think you'll think this is funny. Just this week, I watched a short video on social media where Snoop Dogg was receiving an award, and he was thanking himself. Brilliant. Brilliant. He was getting a star. This is actually a few years ago, but I just saw the video this week. I love when I'm sort of going through Facebook and the Lord. I don't think it's the Lord because I'm not using it in the text. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's perfect. He was receiving a star on Hollywood Boulevard and at his acceptance. This is what he says. He says, lastly, I want to thank me. I want to thank me for believing in me. I want to thank me for doing all this hard work. I want to thank me for having no days off. I want to thank me for never quitting. I want to thank me for always being a giver. And I want to just thank me for being me at all times. Please don't ever do that. Friends, you will never find the Holy Spirit saying this anywhere in Scripture. Instead, you will find the Spirit shining the spotlight away from Himself and onto Christ. Jesus says in verse 14, He Will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So many people in our day and today's Christian culture want to shine the spotlight on the Spirit. But in so doing, here's what we have to learn from Scripture. In so doing, they are actually dishonoring the Spirit because he wants the attention to be upon the Son. So we're acting against the Spirit by drawing attention to the Spirit. He's saying, no, I glorify the Son. J.I. Packer says this, When floodlighting is well done... The floodlights are so placed that you do not see them. You're not in in fact supposed to see where the light is coming from. The intended effect is to make its object visible when otherwise it would not be seen for the darkness. It is as if the Spirit stands behind us throwing light over our shoulder on Jesus who stands facing us. The Spirit's message to us is never look at me, listen to me, come to me, get to know me. But always look at Him and see His glory. Listen to Him and hear His word. Go to Him and have life. Get to know Him and taste His gift of joy and peace. Friends, we cannot simultaneously spot, spotlight ourselves in Christ. We must become like the Spirit in this way, whose greatest delight is being Christocentric, is being Christ centered, who shines the spotlight on Christ. He doesn't seek the attention, but gladly showcases the glory of Christ the sun. How about you, friend? How are you doing in this regard? Throughout our study on the spirit, which we anticipate taking about seven weeks, it's always very dangerous to announce seven weeks because then you'll hold me accountable if we go to 15. The plan is seven. We're taking a break next week. We have a guest speaker coming in. You're going to love that. But seven weeks, and throughout this study, we're going to cover a lot of topics, but this text has to ground our entire study. This John 16 text has to ground our entire study. As we study the spiritual gifts in a few weeks, may the gifts never become the object of our affections. That is not why the Spirit has given the gifts to us, whatever gift that we have, and if you are a Christian, you certainly have a gift. Every Christian has a spiritual gift. The Spirit has given gifts to the church to spotlight Christ, to glorify Christ, that we would be centered not around a man, not around a woman, not around a gift, but around the person of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, his death on the cross for our sins. All the gifts are given to that end for Christ, not for ourselves, not to puff ourselves up, not to make ourselves, prop ourselves up to look great. All of them are to shine the light on Christ. Look at how great he is. For apart from his substitutionary death on the cross for my sins in my place, I would be consumed with me. I'm all about me, pre-conversion. I'm still wrestling with being all about me. But pre-conversion, there is no wrestling. I'm loving. Thanks be to me. Accepting speech, thank me for being me. But then he comes and he regenerates our hearts and Changes our minds about our judgments of Christ and we trust him, we believe in him, our hearts are changed and our gifts that he gives us, he gives us all gifts, all the gifts that he gives us, he gives so that we would use them to build the body up so that we would shine a light for the glory of God in the gospel. That people would see Jesus and how beautiful he is. That we're centered here. That we don't come and gather around a man or a woman or a gift. We come and, because we want to meet Jesus. We, come and we, want to, we want a fellowship with God. We want to know the love of the Father. We want to know what Christ has accomplished on the cross. We want to know the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That's why we are here. All our gifts are that end. All of our gifts. And this church is a beautiful example of that. A beautiful example. I don't see anyone. I don't see anyone on Sunday morning saying, hey, did you see me do this act? Please thank me more often. No, people just serve. I think of my man Bryce just serving so faithfully. Tina serving so faithfully. Christina taking pictures. Guys, I risk the chance of when I mention people, of leaving people out, I think of all of you. But I see no one saying, look at me, look at me. No, everyone's saying, I just serve because I love the Lord. That is the point. And I praise God for that evidence of grace in this church. Friends, it is never about us. John three thirty. He must increase and I must decrease. So as we finish our first study in our new series on the Holy Spirit, friends, I hope our hearts are filled with fresh gratitude because of the Spirit's convicting and convincing work when we first heard the gospel. Fresh gratitude because he guided the apostles to write the New Testament and fresh delight in, gl- in bringing glory to Christ. The Holy Spirit's help is our only hope to live a life for Jesus. Amen, amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we close. Lord, we love you. And we praise you and we thank you for the gift of the Spirit. Lord, we confess that we need him. We need his help, we need his presence, and we thank you for him. We love you, in Jesus' name, amen.